All right, hey, we're starting a new sermon series. The sermon series is called The Passion of the Christ. Why? Well, this weekend, this weekend, as we've mentioned, it marks the climax of what many believers call the Passion Week. And the Passion Week is so named because the Latin root is passionis, which means suffering. Did you know that? Passionis is the Latin root for passion. It means suffering. And so this is the Holy Week. This is the week leading up to Christ's suffering, his death, and his victorious resurrection. But I want to submit to you today that Christ's passion in the, in the suffering sense of the word Christ's passion also vividly demonstrates his passion in another sense of the word. You know, we, we often use the word passion to describe a, a strong desire or a great affection for something or someone. So maybe we could say it this way. Maybe we could say it this way. The passion of the Christ reveals the passion of the Christ. Is, is that a little stretch there? In other words, through the suffering of Jesus... We see the ardent desire of Jesus. Desire for what exactly? His desire to seek and save the lost. That desire, that passion. It's that passion, that priority and urgency for the lost that we're going to dwell on through this sermon series throughout the rest of April, the passion of the Christ. You know, there's, there's a basic principle of life that I learned as a young person, and it, it said like this, by beholding, we become changed, right? By beholding, we become changed. And it's my hope and prayer that as we behold this passion of Christ, as we behold his passion for lost souls, that you and I will be changed into the same. That our passion, our mission as believers and as a church will be driven by the same passion that drove our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now for me, one of the most clear pictures of Jesus' passion for the lost is actually packed into one chapter, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15. So I want to invite you, let, let's turn there together, Luke chapter 15, as we start this first part of the passion of the Christ. Let's go, Luke chapter 15, this is where we're going to hang out for the rest of April. Luke chapter 15, three parables Jesus tells. Each week we'll go through one of those parables. But here, just to get started, let's go to Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. There's a couple of narrative, uh, narrative introductions, kind of setting the stage for these stories. But it's important as we dive in. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James. The Bible says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, to hear him. All the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. Just, just visualize the picture for a moment. Let, let the movie play out in your mind. Imagine the, the emotional undercurrents that are there in between the lines. What do you see? What do you see here? Well, I see tax collectors. People that you wouldn't normally want to see. <laughs> I see sinners. The lowest of the low, both in life calling and in moral standards. I see people who aren't necessarily great company, but you know what? These people are drawn to Jesus. What does it say? Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. This is a beautiful picture here. This is a hopeful picture. But when you start reading the next verse, there's a discordant note that sours this hope-filled prelude of sorts. Let's read it. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes 
complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Oh boy, what's, what's going on? What's the issue? What's the beef? Not that Jesus is eating or what Jesus is eating, but who Jesus is eating with. He's eating with the, oh, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, to invite a person in that culture, to invite a person to a meal was an honor that implied acceptance and trust and peace. When, when someone invited you over to their home, that meant they were giving you a, 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 an acceptance letter. They, they were saying, hey, I want you. I, I accept you into my circle. I trust you, and I want to cultivate peace together. Now, in the eyes of the Pharisees and scribes, tax collectors and sinners were not the kind to be accepted or trusted. Peace was not to be offered, but withheld from such people. Now, the Pharisees and scribes, for, for decades now, they, they had worked hard to build walls of us versus them. And now those walls are being threatened by this new rabbi named Jesus. So they took it as a personal offense because they were truly only thinking about self-preservation. You understand what I mean by that? In other words, salvation for them was really only a concern of being separate from sinners who weren't like them. That's what happens when we make salvation more about ourselves than about God himself. And so what does Jesus do? As he kind of senses the tension around him. I mean, this was a beautiful and hopeful thing for him. He's, he's seeing tax collectors and sinners drawn to him. They want to hear him. They're not just opening their ears, they're opening their hearts to him. But with all this tension around the Pharisees and scribes, Jesus goes on to tell a series of three stories. Three stories specifically for them to hear, but also for his new friends to hear. Three stories that are meant to rewrite the truth about salvation. Three stories meant to rewrite the story of God's heart and passion for the lost. So today we're just going to focus on the first of those three stories, and it may be a familiar story. It may be something you've heard when you were young. It may be something that you've read and studied multiple times, but, but I urge you today, why don't you read it again for the first time? And let's discover three things that Jesus is trying to rewrite for us. All right, let's read the, the story. It's in Luke chapter 15. I'm just going to read the entirety of the, the story. It's from verses 3 through 7. So the Bible says this, So he, Jesus, spoke this parable to them, that would be the, uh, the Pharisees and scribes, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Wow. What a story. And again, maybe it's familiar, but let's listen again for the first time. Let's go ahead. Let's start identifying three things that Jesus is trying to rewrite for our hearts and minds. And I would say that the first thing that Jesus wants to communicate with clarity is the value of a sheep. The value of one sheep 
the infinite value of one. And when you read this story, Jesus kind of sets this up as a shepherd who, who searches, searches for one out of his hundred. There are 99 others, but he still searches. There are 99 others, but he leaves those 99 in the wilderness. He doesn't even bother to, to uh, bring them home to safety. The, the shepherd is moved to search for the one. Why? Why? Because in the eyes of the shepherd, even one is of infinite value. That lost sheep is not disposable. The lost sheep isn't replaceable. Ah, that's, it's only one, some may think. But no, to the shepherd, to the shepherd, it's the only one of that sheep. Man, do you know the value of one? Did you ever, as a kid, or maybe even now, you, you, you have a hobby of collecting things and you know the value of certain things because they're so rare? Man, I remember being a young person. Uh, when, when we were younger, my brother and I, my older brother, he, he would uh, collect baseball cards. And as the, the little brother, I just oohed and awed over all the things that he collected as he was putting cards in the little plastic pocket protectors and things like that. I remember one day he opened a package and lo and behold, there was a pretty valuable card. I mean, it was only $1.25 uh, for that particular card. And it was, nine, it was a 1989 rookie card of Ken Griffey Jr. It was an upper deck 1989 Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. And yeah, it was $1.25. Most baseball cards were like 30 cents, 25 cents, things like that. But that one was worth $1.25. Um, interestingly enough, Ken Griffey became a, you know, led a Hall of Fame career, that kind of thing. He became a very good baseball player. And today, that same 1989 rookie card is uh, being sold on, on eBay for $7,000, right? I mean, there's probably 100,000 or so of that very card uh, all in circulation throughout the world, but even that is worth something. You know, just the other day, my wife was telling me that she read a news article about someone who paid, who paid $33,000 for a towel that Kobe Bryant draped over his shoulder during his farewell speeches after his last um, game as a, as a professional basketball player. That sweat towel was worth $33,000 to someone. Why? Because there was only one towel like that in the world. <laughs> you see, the value of something goes up when the supply of that very thing goes down. You know, uh, who, knew, who knew how valuable hand sanitizer was until they disappeared from store shelves everywhere, right? <laughs> I mean, the value of something goes up when the supply of that very thing goes down. And so what's the value of one? What's the value of the lost sheep? What's the value of a lost soul? The reality is this, there, there will never be another you. And because of that, you are of infinite value to God. There will never be another precious soul who has lived what you lived. There, is never, there will never be another soul who has seen what you have seen and made the decisions that you have. There will never be, <clears throat> excuse me, never be another mix of your unique personality and quirks. There will never be another person who becomes what you have become. You are God's only shot at you. Sure, maybe you're thinking, oh, there's 7.8 billion people in the world. Yeah, but 
you may you may only be one but you are the only one of you because of that you are of infinite value to god the value of one is something that jesus wants us to know from the very get-go even if it's one out of 99 even if it's one out of 7.8 billion when one is lost god seeks at all costs the value of a sheep that's what jesus wants us to understand that's number one the, the first thing he rewrites for us is the value of a sheep but what what else you know the shepherd is a representation of jesus who he is and and what he values and in this parable jesus not only rewrites the value of a sheep but he also rewrites the character of the shepherd he wants us to understand with clarity who God is, his heart, and his passion. So that's the second thing that Jesus rewrites, the character of the shepherd. You know, when you envision the parable in your mind, you know, when you play out the movie of this parable in your mind, what, what kind of facial expressions, what kinds of sounds do you hear from the shepherd? I mean, do you imagine like a, a grumbling frustration kind of, oh man, here we go again, you know, that, that kind of thing. Or do you hear a breathless concern? Wait, where is the sheep? I, I got to go find this sheep. You know, I think Jesus wants us to see a self-portrait. The portrait of a shepherd who is moved by urgency and immediacy. You know, before taking the 99 home, he can't wait. He needs to go find that sheep. I think he wants us to see a picture of, of a shepherd who is moved by personal investment and involvement. You know, he's not content to send someone else, to send someone else to go get the lost sheep while he takes care of the, the larger group, the 99. Why? No, because there's a tie of ownership, of belonging. I think it says in verse 6, when, when he gets back home, he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. There's a tie of relationship and belonging there. And when the one is found, the divine shepherd responds with tenderness and joy, not blame and castigation. Now, when one is lost, God seeks at all costs. And when one is found, oh man, he celebrates with all joy. That's what we're seeing here. So where we're seeing the value of a sheep, we're also seeing the character of this shepherd who, who just can't wait to find the lost and when he does he's not upset about it he's he's tender he's caring he's joy filled right but there's a third thing that Jesus rewrites kind of a sheds light on in this parable not just the value of a sheep and the character of the shepherd but he's showing us the true colors of the under shepherds there are other shepherds in this story, and it's not in the story itself, but they're listening to the story. <laughs> the true colors of the under-shepherds. You know, in verse 6, we, we read it again, rejoice with me is what the shepherd says. Rejoice with me. And the appeal to rejoice, kind of the command to rejoice, actually highlights the fact that there are probably some who aren't rejoicing. You remember who Jesus is telling this parable to? Yeah, the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and scribes, those who were supposed partners with the divine shepherd, and they were anything but rejoicing at the beginning of this chapter. I'm, I'm, I'm not 
overreaching here. I don't think I'm being too hard on these religious leaders. They knew that they were called to be co-shepherds. They were called to be under shepherds with God. In fact, there's a passage in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 34. It's specifically to the, I mean, primarily the primary audience back then was uh, in, in Ezekiel's day. The religious leaders were, were definitely not being faithful shepherds. And apparently, centuries later, the religious leaders in Jesus' day were kind of repeating history. Ezekiel 34 identifies that these leaders, the leaders of God's people, are called to be shepherds. Shepherds who, who should have been doing what Jesus was actually doing himself. You can read it, and maybe we can even turn there together. But in Ezekiel 34, man, the first few verses are a really straight, kind of putting up a mirror in front of the religious leaders. As you're turning there, let's, let's just kind of think about this. The religious leaders, the issue that's being raised is that the shepherds used their position for self-indulgence instead of self-sacrifice. They use their position as, and, and their, their influence, their authority, they use it to satisfy themselves rather than to give of themselves to others. So, so God has to do something about it. What does he do about it? If, if you're there, you can turn with me to Ezekiel 34 if you haven't just yet. Ezekiel 34, halfway through the chapter, God is not just going to identify the problem of these leaders, these supposed shepherds. He's going to describe what he himself will do. Let's read it. Ezekiel 34, I'll read verse 11 and also verse 16. There's a lot we could read, but I'll just kind of highlight this. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. The Bible says, For thus says the Lord, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Then later on down in verse 16, I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. And this is something that God himself pledges himself to do. Why? Because the under-shepherds, the other, those who were entrusted with spiritual leadership and responsibility, they were not doing it. God himself seeks for the sheep that have gone wandering. And while these supposed shepherds were busy shunning sinners, Jesus was busy shouldering them shouldering them. I mean, remember how Jesus described it in that parable. You can go back to Luke 15. Don't miss this. The, the story is just of, of a few details here, but in verse 5, Luke 15, verse 5, remember it says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Man, when he finds the sheep, he doesn't just say, all right, good luck. That's the way back home. <laughs> when he finds the sheep, when Jesus finds lost hearts, he doesn't just point us in the direction of home. He doesn't just say, ah, you go right, then left, and then you'll do this and that. No, you know what this true shepherd does? He bears us up. He carries us home. This is what the shepherd has to do, literally. Why? Because literal sheep, physical sheep, when they are cut off from the flock, when they begin to realize that, uh-oh, I'm not where I should be. The, the actual tendency is for the sheep to just sit down, refuse to budge, refuse to move, and just bleat incessantly. And so when a shepherd finds a lost sheep that is in that kind of distress, the shepherd would actually have to carry it. The sheep is helpless to help themselves. And friends, that, that's totally a picture of us. 
And when, when we're lost, when we've wandered far from home, you and I are helpless to secure our own safety and salvation. I'm so thankful for this picture of a shepherd who not only seeks us, but when he finds us, he shoulders us to safety. And what a weekend to remember the shepherd who shoulders us. I hope that if you haven't already, that you'll, you'll do it. Take some time, intentional time, to reflect on the closing scenes of Christ's life. And as you do, remember this, that the same shoulders that bore the cruel cross to Calvary are the same shoulders upon which you and I are born to safety. That is the passion of the Christ. A passion that says, when one is lost, now I'm, I'm going to seek at all costs. That's the passion of the Christ. Do you hear it? Jesus is the shepherd. He, this is the heart of the shepherd. This is the heart that he wants those of us who partner with him, the under shepherds, to embrace that same kind of passion as well. So yes, he's rewritten the value of a sheep. He's rewritten the character of the shepherd, but he also wants us to see the true colors of the under-shepherd's heart. And where, where is our heart? Do our hearts resonate with the passion of Christ? This past November, six-year-old Ethan House, he took his dog, Remington, out for a walk outside his Minnesota home just as the sun was setting of a young guy to be taking a dog on a walk by himself but uh, whatever the case it was a nice way to end the evening except that the evening fell before Ethan and his dog returned home so after hours hours of dropping Minnesota temperatures parents called the sheriff's department sheriff's department realized ah, we need more help so the Shelbourne County Sheriff's Department called for the help of nearby neighbors and residents, posted it on social media, things like that. And nearly 600 concerned volunteers showed up in the middle of that 30 degree night. One of those 600 volunteers was a gentleman by the name of Steve Fines who lived in a nearby neighborhood. He, he operated an imaging company you know, uh, took pictures, aerial photography, those kinds of things. He owns a $30,000 heat-seeking drone. And because Steve knew the area, he knew that around this neighborhood, it was surrounded by cornfields. It was surrounded by swampy woods with ankle-deep water. Steve knew that he needed every resource he could put his hands on to find a boy and his dog in the dark. And so, at about 1 a.m., Steve, he's, he's flying his drone and he snaps this astonishing image. We'll show it here. This picture that shows literally hundreds of people. Where? In wet, muddy ground in freezing temperatures at 1 a.m. Why? All because they wanted to help this family find their lost son. Now, 1.50, in the morning, Steve's drone identified the heat signatures of little Ethan and his dog. When the volunteers on the ground found him, yeah, Ethan was lying down, shivering in a field, but praise the Lord, he was in otherwise in good health and was safely brought home. Friends, you may feel today like a lost sheep. 
left out in the cold, far from home, a prey among predators, fearful and frozen, not even knowing where to go. And I, I want to tell you today, Jesus is on the move. Jesus is seeking with all his heart for your salvation. Jesus places an infinite value upon you. And he seeks you at all cost. Will you let him shoulder you home today? We just say yes to Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I, would, I need you to be my shepherd. Is that what you want to tell him today? I want to make a second appeal. You know, not just to, not just to receive the shepherd's great passion for you, but to look for ways to resonate with that passion, to, to rejoice with that passion, and to reflect that passion to seek and save the lost. You're an under-shepherd with Jesus. You're a partner in this shepherding ministry. And maybe even now, maybe even now, the Holy Spirit is actually putting somebody on your mind. Maybe there's a face coming to your mind, someone to check in on, someone to encourage, someone to even invite to the Hope Awakens seminar. If you haven't heard about it, I'll, I'll put some information there in the notes section. Hope Awakens, it starts next Friday night, April 17. It's a, it's a virtual seminar so that anybody can watch it and hear the word of God, hear prophecies of hope. Hopeawakens.com, you can find it, find more information there. Maybe someone right now is, is coming to your mind. It could be even someone under your own roof. Will you partner with Jesus and share in his passion? I think there's a tendency with all these stay-at-home, shelter-in-place orders and stuff just to kind of figure out life for yourself, just to kind of take care of yourself. And we should. Don't get me wrong. We should make sure to take care of yourselves. But it doesn't need to stall your efforts or mine to seek others' well-being, to bless others whose souls may be far from their home in Jesus. And so today, two appeals. Will you let Jesus shepherd you? Will you let Jesus shoulder you and bear you safely home to him? And two, will you let him use you to lead others home as well? If that's your desire, let, let's, let's pray together and commit our hearts to him. Father in heaven, this is our desire. As we've reflected a little on the passion of the Christ, not just your suffering, but your desire to seek and save the lost. Lord, we, first of all, just are humbled and deeply thankful that you would find us at all cost, that you would shoulder us and carry us home. And Lord, we want to receive that. We, we pray that our own hearts would be brought home to Jesus. If we've wandered far from you in affection and commitment and loyalty, Lord, please bring us home. And Father, at the same time, I pray that you would use us to be partners with you in seeking and saving the lost, that we would be under shepherds that reflect the heart of Jesus. And so, Lord, in our hearts and minds right now, we just want to lift up to you the names of family or friends we don't know how to retrieve. We don't know how far they've gone. Only you can rescue. And so, Father, we lift them up to you and we ask that you would do what only you can do and that somehow, in your miraculous ways, you would use us to be an answer to this prayer. 
if there are ways that we can encourage, if there are ways that we can take someone under wing, if there are ways that we can speak a word in season to him or her who is weary, Lord, please use us. Ultimately, we want to lead them to you. You are the shepherd who bears us home. Lord, take this time, this weekend especially, to ground us in your grace and to give us the passion of the Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen.